what the hell is big hormone any crap um we have a fucking group on facebook um, <laughs> like, yeah we like, didn't intro any of it so i mean that would be cool to know because like, that's some pretty interesting background um as to also mm -hmm. just like like how the fuck we approach the anagram like the group is a pretty good representation of what the hell that is and why yeah. people are reacting the way they are to anagram universe and all that so that's important the big hormone anagram Yeah, what are we here to talk about? Well, I think, you know, we talked, we, I mean, we touched a bit on um, typing and the importance of typing and blah, 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 but I think we can, we have a lot more, I think, to talk about in terms of, like, for example, um, what Emeka was just speaking to, but I think Emeka also said a few things after the call, like, oh, we should have touched on blah, blah, blah. For me, um, I want to talk about inner work you know, and why typing is important from the point of view of inner work and not just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, why not, why it's not just a, a cool little hobby to have, but like mm -hmm. why accurate typing and knowing your type and what it's all about is uh, a useful thing. Okay. I just told them before you came on that I wanted to redo my intro and include some of the background on how we met because it had some social elements that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And also how the chat came about and how big hormone came about um yeah just maybe a, we should redo just our intros yeah that's what i think i think it would, would be probably good to do the intros like three times and pick the best uh, yeah pick the best one. Ugh, i so. hate introing myself yeah i don't know if i'm gonna have anything new or good <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i thought the one you did last time was pretty good yeah i mean let's just see i mean yeah maybe the, like, maybe on the third maybe on the third podcast i'll have the, an intro but yeah i mean the first one is well, i can always use the first one we're yeah, all yeah. sitting here judging how much new stuff you're going to come up with come on david oh yeah that's, that's <laughs> the name for sure yeah. dude you're the most infamous person in the enneagram <laughs> <laughs> the david yeah, i guess that would be interesting to say that would be very interesting to say but that's like, that's more to me not as much <clears throat> the intro but that's for you guys to say like how the hell did this happen What's that's wrong you, with you? If if you want, I could, I could just talk shit about you and, and we yeah. could all just talk about that, David. That's a thing at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great podcast. Yeah. I'd listen, I'd listen to that all day long. Well, yeah, I'm not going to want to take it. Can we try to understand why David gets so many people obsessed with him? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm here. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. intros. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't have an intro, so fuck you. Okay, I'll just read you. I'll just read you mine. Get this out of the way, but I have a. I ha, I want to cover all this stuff, and then, um. All right, so I, I can just get started. So my name is Emika. I got into the Enneagram about ten years ago, and what initially hooked me into the Enneagram was that this it was this real, to me it was this real and experiential kinesthetic thing i seen some typologists before and it just seemed like some theories on a page and this is the first time that I, I could notice the types that they as they were happening in real time so it became this really obsessive thing 
that I was just spending weekends and weekends studying and trying to figure out or figure out, feel out the types um, experientially. I wanted this, I had this fantasy that I could just walk into a room and figure out people's types immediately. And it was happening as I was getting better. Um, so as a body type, I learned by doing. So that was my way of learning the Enneagram, was exploring types through uh, kinesthetically, um, which basically informs the way I think I approach the Enneagram, which is an experiential, archetypal, intuitive, kinesthetic approach to the Enneagram, which I don't think there's a lot of approaches that factor that in for people. And so I think that's something that I'm bringing to the Enneagram that not a lot of, there's not a lot out there that has that approach. Um, so this eventually led me to find people like David and John on forums. We eventually met on Facebook. And I want to explain a social element to this. For years, I never felt that I could connect with anyone in the Enneagram world because I looked around and didn't see anyone I could relate to until I met these guys. Um, the Enneagram world is pretty old, white, <laughs> and uptight. And white. <laughs> and white. Like, sounds like the name of a band, right? Like old, white, and uptight. <laughs> uh, we like we became friends over the years, along with some other young Enneagrammers like Nancy. Um, and so, a cool thing that has come out of these connections is a group that we run and a website called. Uh, Enneagram Universe and Enneagrammer started by a social for a friend of ours, uh, Joseph Simone. Um, so the group is a good representation of our collective approach to the Enneagram. Like, um, we've gotten in trouble before, quote unquote trouble, the, our crew, you might call it, in other groups because of our approach to the Enneagram. So it's important to kind of explain why that might be. And, and it's because we have a lot of interesting things to say, but we're not afraid of negativity. We're not afraid of having heated debates. And for some people, they wanted social scenes that didn't have any negativity, didn't have any ideas that would start a ruckus. And we were really excited about those things. And so the group that we started is still to this day pretty infamous and starts a lot of controversies because um, our approach kind of is different. Um, so I think one of the most important things is that people are free to express themselves and we have, uh, we put a lot of priority on accuracy, which accuracy in typing, accuracy in representing the types correctly, which can really get people heated, uh, and get people upset. So in this group, we, in this group, we had a lot of like interesting, creative, things that we talk about. And one of them was Michael teachings, which is this esoteric spiritual system that I got into when I was uh, obsessed or still obsessed with the Enneagram. I'm still interested in it. Um, so Michael teachings is about archetypes and in it, there are archetypes that you're attracted to. And so it became this huge threat. People wanted to figure out what their archetypes were or archetypes they were attracted to, which became a group chat and this group chat became pretty wild because we it ended up being people just sending uh, sexy selfies, root vegetables. We ended up talking about astrology, end up talking about like Enneagram drama and whatever you name it. So this this Chernobyl, <laughs> Chernobyl. 
so this group chat like became like a concentrated um representation of the group in a way which where anything goes and that group chat eventually became called uh, we eventually called it big hormone big hormone energy which is what this podcast is named after which i think says something about the um the direction the energy of what we're trying to do which is this feeling of um, a freedom to express yourself, a personality, um, not only just the inner work and the nuance, but the fun and entertainment and the humor and irreverence that, um, in the way that we approach the Enneagram. And we're so, horny as fuck, y'all. Yes, and we're very horny. <laughs> All day. So I, in terms of what I want to contribute to the Enneagram or what I want to experience, it's basically what I felt was missing when I I first came into it when I didn't feel like I could really get involved until I met these guys. It's like, I, I want to see more personality. I want to see more fun. I want to see more entertainment. Obviously, I want to see more accuracy. I want to see people who are getting their types correctly. But the Enneagram, you know, I want to see more people getting loose and not, uh, not only with inner work, but just enjoying themselves. And, and I think that's going to attract a lot of young, interesting people over time as this stuff gets more mainstream. I don't want to see this just be dominated by old dry or overly religious or whatever you name it i i do want to see some action and some personality in this thing so i hope besides the inner work and the nuance that we're having fun so that's now there's my also intro. the business slant besides the christian thing as far as it's oh yeah yeah uh, yeah <clears throat> yeah i would to add to what emic is saying um you know what I like about the name and the sensibility that it expresses is that my main interest in the Enneagram is inner work and, uh, you know, the, the esoteric origins of the Enneagram. And when it comes to inner work and inner work groups of various kinds, there can be a very um, dry, uh, very kind of self-retentive quality and a very kind of austere or or sort of an or it can be go to this um to the swing to the new agey love and light like hear my truth kind of you know way of expressing itself or uh and another common one that david pointed out is the professionalism mm -hmm. where everything is sort of um everybody's an ambassador for their brand yeah. And everything is very uh, also dry and you're always sort of measured as a spokesperson for some brand you're supposed to be representing. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's got this quality of being uh, at like a, a, a conference with a lanyard around your neck and <laughs> literally, uh, yeah, literally. literally and, you know, literally presenting your new inner innovation, like almost like a technology conference or something like mm -hmm. that. And yeah, um and, you know, especially uh, people of our age group recognizes that the, the, the boundary between personal life and professional life is really kind of arbitrary, uh, given especially like social media and that most of us have been probably posting online since we were 12. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, I think what's interesting about it in terms of the Enneagram and inner work is that... Um, you know, my, my emphasis has been the instincts. That's where a lot of my energy has gone to studying. And 
spirituality and inner transformation is not about getting a better personality and it's not about overcoming your personality and it's not about um, eating organic food or whole food rather than eating junk food or having tantric sex instead of having normal sex or uh, <laughs> joining a really elite spiritual group versus just hanging out with your friends. It's, it's about a development of being rather than a change in the personality and instincts. And so with that in mind, uh, a real spirituality doesn't depend on having this austere uh, kind of guise or personality that comes with it. It's just another form of personality is the spiritual personality. Mm-hmm. And so in big hormone energy and in and, and this and, you know, amongst the four of us and elsewhere and people that we're uh, related to, I think that there is a very sincere, although, you know, different approach to inner work and spirituality and self-understanding and becoming more conscious and becoming a better person uh, that tr- escapes the trappings of a lot of the cultural framework or cultural signifiers of self-help and spirituality. And it stays about how do I be an awake person with my personality rather than pretending like I've overcome my personality and pretending that my personality is not me as much as, you know, I mean, it's not me as much as essence is, but essence, essence is, um, something more inward. And it's not something that you can turn into a personality. Uh, so don't fall into the trap or the trance of trying to give yourself a a spiritualized personality because you're, you're not only not developing, um, anything from that, you're not getting anything except maybe some, some brownie points for people who like that. But, uh, it's not the real mark of transformation. And in especially, um, some of the Sufi orders that I'm interested in are not, not really orders, but um, there's a there's a group that's actually pre-Sufi that became assumed into Sufism called the Malamati. And their whole deal was showing no outward sign whatsoever. They were working inwardly all the time. Mm. And mm. so we don't have to be mm. so much like that, but you know, their 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 sort of um, central tenant was being blamed. It's Malamati means the way of blame. And it means being blameworthy in the eyes of all but Allah. Only Allah knows what's real for you. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it's like you can um, have fun. You can enjoy yourself. You can uh, have sex and be, be horny and thirsty and uh, do all that kind of shit. And at the same time, as long as you're actually present in all three centers, you know, the spiritual and developmental piece becomes less about morality, which is generally based in social instinct, cultural kind of stuff. It becomes more about what helps you stay in integrity with your inner life and, and the deeper heart and the deeper mind and, you know, your, the, the body of presence that we're trying to cultivate. And so it's not about, you know, losing what makes you an interesting person. I, it just makes me think about the last time we had a meetup. We organized a meetup based on the chat, and I did a breathwork breathwork session with John. And that same night, we went out and danced <laughs> at a club. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so, just seeing that, like that, you can do inner work and you can better yourself without having this overly dry, uppity. Um, facade that you put on that you feel like you have to put on to fit into that 
that world. I feel like a lot of my friends who are into things like astrology, like a lot of young people are into astrology. A lot of interesting young people are interested into things like astrology and other spiritual um, systems. But for some reason, the Enneagram world is somehow feels pretty stiff in comparison to a lot of these other scenes. And uh, I, I think hopefully as things expand and grow and more young people get into the Enneagram, they're going to feel like, yeah, I can be myself and still be interested in this spiritual system. Yeah. And that's to kind of back you on what you just said, Emka. Uh, that's what kind of drew me to you guys is because when I came into the Enneagram, I was 16 and I was like coming from a very Christian, Republican, <laughs> strict uh, kind of world and kind of seeing the Enneagram, but then seeing how you guys handled it in this way that's um, kind of blunt and straightforward which mm -hmm. no one is blunt and straightforward to a 16 year old, just <laughs> FYI. And that's the most freaking annoying bullshit in the world. So that's what kind of drew me to you guys' group um, as I came to the conferences and got to meet you uh, was that you didn't like coddle the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. You're just like, here's what it is. And here's how you can work with it instead of being like, oh, well, you know, sometimes it's about sex. Oh, like freaking <laughs> out about it. <laughs> oh, my God. So I <laughs> sorry. Were you, were you raised uh, like or did you come from from a Christian perspective? Or was that just like the milieu that you found the Enneagram in? No, no. I, I was baptized in a Christian church when I was a baby. So, Whoa. yeah, and my family was Republican until recently. So, until recently, <laughs> what happened? They, they, we all oh, woke up. We were like, oh, shit. <laughs> Trump <laughs> this, happened. This, yeah, exactly. We we're like, this is not okay anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, truth trumped lies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a bad Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, to me, one of the overall themes here is that I think we said it on one of our preliminary calls that the appearance of good stops, you know, needing to do the appearance of good stops actual goodness. And mm -hmm. people know that people mm -hmm. sense that. I mean, that's what Christians need to know that. I mean, just being sincerely reaching out to Christians for a second, you know, that's what turns people off about Christianity is because it's people instantly know you know that that it's fake that 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 whole style of needing to be good needing to associate yourself with a certain kind of goodness moral ethical uh it it somewhat becomes synonymous for people with actually underneath uh being deceptive because yep. it's because it is a lie right um uh you know everybody's a mix right so that's kind of a an overall theme here yeah i, I grew up in the church uh big time i'd which make a church? joke huh which church um i'm not sure like my parents would say that <laughs> non-denominational okay oh no but which which i don't even i think that's a category of its own now it uh, is yeah but, uh, so, which sorry what church did you grow up in nancy presbyterian okay i grew up catholic oh my so, mom my mom was agnostic so lucky you mm. 
So a big thing in, in my the churches that my parents took us to were these sort of faith movements. I don't know if you're familiar with that, any of you guys. No. The mm-hmm. like there's a lineage of um um a type of it's called faith movement, the prosperity movement. You've heard of that? Is that where they think God wants you to get rich? Yes, 100%. Joel Osteen and all that. Joel, I don't know if Joel Osteen is one of the guys for that. (laughs) He's more of a positivity. Uh, But um, I I remember in high school, my parents for vacation would take me to uh, um, a Bible conference or one of these faith um, conferences in Oklahoma. And that would be like... We would get go to a buffet every single day, and we'd oh go to these god. conferences. Oh god! Help. Um, and that was like the most fun I had in high school. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, just there's this very oppressive feeling of just being stuck in the church environment and, and of having to be a certain way. And then growing up, realizing that a lot of people that I looked up to as um, righteous turned out to be some of the worst human beings i've ever seen so because mm-hmm. you don't expect it in that environment expect <clears throat> that people are, are bible followers and jesus followers and practice the bible and all that stuff but in reality it's, people are just as terrible um in church as elsewhere i can well, tell you in the business world just briefly i'm i'm the old guy here so i've actually been a dork and done some business and when um <laughs> And I've when, done work. Uh, You're the only one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the only one. And um, and I can tell you, just generally in that world, when somebody starts talking God and Jesus and stuff, you know, literally one hundred percent of the time that they're going to be shady. I mean, every wow. time. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. There's not even. You don't even. At a certain point, you realize you don't even give them a one percent chance it's just they're hiding behind that in order to do some kind of deception at some point and 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 they're tricking themselves it's not as if it's perfectly cynical right that they're absolutely doing it as a as a cover ask yeah but but it's just it's going to come up and it does every time and basically you just cut it off right then once that starts happening uh i want to because because you know we're having this out there uh a lot, since a lot of christians are getting into the enneagram i don't want uh right any christians to think we're just shitting on christianity um but you know there's a difference between the culture of christianity and the you know the ways that it gets uh severed from the messages of christianity and gets turned into its opposite versus the actual spiritual constellation and 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 imagistic orientation of christianity that there are people there's you know there's a real mysticism of christianity in some areas but for the most part especially at least my experiences in the united states um there is a different kind of christianity that calls itself Christianity, but has nothing to do with actually living any kind of example of Christ or inner development or awakening in any, any, any sense, but is, is kind of, um, a weird amalgam of, um, you know, just people who are sincerely trying to be good people, but, uh, often 
are looking outside themselves for guidance. And then that gets combined with a weird infusion of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. As you're speaking to that prosperity shit. Uh, but but even it's even more subtle than that, but that's just a really overt example. And then it gets it crosses over into weird uh, nationalism and politics, oh, wow. politics and yeah. white nationalism and ideology yeah. and you know it a lot of Christianity and it sounds like the kind uh, the flavor that you're speaking to have experienced in business, David, is sort of on the level of just cultural signifiers with no no real inner life to it. So yeah. like. Uh, on a retreat I was teaching recently, I was I was commenting on this because somebody was asking about why why are we seeing all of a sudden all this enneagram stuff related to Christianity, and uh, I was I was describing how like there's a certain level of emotional thinking, it's like the emotional center destroying the mental center where certain symbols that have no inner significance just are sort of associated with each other. So like just really plainly like guns and Christianity. <laughs> like they're so tied together and you'll see somebody like, you know, uh, with a Christian cross holding a big rifle, which is intended to, to kill a human being or defend yourself or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, that is so radically out of line with any example that Christ was making. And they might use little biblical verses or something to justify it, but it's real. Everybody knows it's bullshit and they do too. Um, but it's just sort of thinking of like, uh, like cross gun, America, blue jeans, truck, uh, you know, uh, camo, uh, you know, simple life work, you know, working man, uh, you know, small business owner, uh, soldier. <laughs> I'm really enjoying, I'm really enjoying like, this character. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like, there's, you need, there's no thinking involved. It's just sort of emotionally charged signifiers that mean nothing. And they're all sort of related to each other. So, like, that's why, like, somebody uh, like Trump can be some weird example of 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 a holding Christianity, while like saving saving the unborn while putting kids in concentration camps. You know, it's like because there's no mental center involved. It's like this weird emotional gut distortion of of cultural signifying. So, when it comes to Christianity and the Enneagram, one of the things that we've talked about in some of the preliminary calls is um, how that the, the newfound Christian and evangelical Christian interest in the Enneagram has flavored the way the Enneagram is being taught and understood and how yep. it's being talked about. And, you know, besides a lot of the major Christian, I mean, major teachers in general being, excuse me, mistyped. They uh, and and then therefore describing types based on their own mistyping, which then perpetuates this sort of cycle of people reading that, going, "Oh, I must be this type," you know, and it sort of self reinforces where if enough people think they're the mistype, then the mistype becomes like the type, the type, right? <laughs> so there's there's that going on, but there's also a, a, a way of sort of flattening, in my view, flattening the enneagram. And uh, because it is so much of this sort of solar uh, ascending, like, like either knowing yourself so that Jesus can, can you know, save you or you can be self-aware or whatever um, and just get along better with people and have a better personality. Um, 
or like, you know, just sort of sanitizes a lot of the potency of the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is so effective because it's just like a laser uh, into what you're unconscious about. And it's, so it's, it's trying to do so, this Christian kind of take on the Enneagram seemingly is trying to do so uh, with, by eliminating the unconscious. Hmm. Does anybody know exactly how uh, the Christian teachers are trying to integrate the Enneagram into, uh, how, how are they integrating the Enneagram into Jesus? How are those two things, how are, they, how are they saying that the Enneagram is going to help you get closer to Jesus? Because I've heard people say that, but I'm not exactly sure how they're teaching that. So it's, I don't know everybody, but I, I, I was listening uh, not too recent or not too long ago, uh, a pastor introducing the Enneagram and, you know, he was probably a seven. And so it had that kind of, you know, sort of quick thing. And it was, it was optimistic and, and, you know, it's not bad. Like, it's not bad what he was saying, but he was sort of something about like, it's kind of like that Jesus helps those who help themselves kind of idea. Hmm. Um, but if, you know, if you know yourself, then you're better, you're, you're able to better, uh, fulfill the mission of Christ and you're able to, um, uh, I can't remember how he said it, but it's, it's of that similar principle where it's like, you can be redeemed, helped, whatever. A better vessel. <laughs> yeah. But by knowing yourself, which is actually true and is actually useful. And if, and, and that appeals to a certain level of understanding as well as a certain um you know some people just resonate with different uh cultures different signifiers different different things like that and so you know it's not that in itself is not bad and it's not bad that christians uh are using the enneagram because it actually gives a certain kind of praxis to their spirituality which is something that the catholic church eliminated a long fucking time ago yeah what does that word mean Praxis, the practice. Oh, um, you know, there's like, there's the belief, which is not, which is actually a detriment. Belief is a detriment to spirituality and faith. Mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, the early Christian church, prior to the takeover of the, of the Catholic Church, um, had a kind of a, a had praxis, had a way that they understood that you develop spiritually, whereas a lot of Christianity today is based on um you know some in in catholic church it's good works but in um in in sort of being a model like living in the model of christ that's usually thought of as morally um alone rather than any kind of inner work and then in like most of modern christian churches uh it's just being saved which is just generally Mm -hmm. a ritual that, that that accompanies a kind of belief and so it's a very flat and very horizontal understanding of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I die and then I go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and we all go to heaven and we hang out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Forever. How boring. Um, and I think one of the, uh, I think it is great that it's coming into churches and that churches are starting to talk about it. But I think one of the more hurtful sides of it is this kind of theory that if you learn your type, you know, uh, Christians still have this um, idea that the bad things you do are sin. And if you learn your type, you can, um, you know, better 
kind of guard against these sinful habits like anger and shame and these emotions that just come oh. up and should be welcomed and should be understood and right. sat with, but instead are looked at as shameful or sinful or bad, um, but are really just part of your type structure and are not going to go away. That's a that's a great point. That's, I'll shut that's up. A great point. I'll shut up soon. But just to, <laughs> I know talking. I've been talking a lot. But uh, so so what's interesting and what I think that the Christian Enneagram thing is missing uh, is that a lot of Enneagram stuff actually comes from Christianity. Hmm. Um, that the part of the, the the central suffering of each type, the passion, um, they share the name of the seven deadly sins plus vanity and fear. Uh, because there was originally definitely eight and maybe nine, and they weren't they weren't understood the way that they're understood today. Right. Um, but they were developed in early the earliest Christian monasteries in the world, which were in Egypt, and uh, they were recorded by a monk named Evagrius, and they were called the Logismoi, and they were the tempt they were called lo- tempting thoughts but they were understood to be things that distract you from having your attention fully on the divine present. And so, you know, you're in a fucking monastery in the desert of Egypt and you start noticing what makes it difficult to inhabit a quality of attention that, you know, the divine is at the forefront of your awareness all the time. And, um, there's a great book by a woman named Angela Tilby that I've told you guys about. It's about the seven deadly sins in Evagrius, but, the first sin they identified was uh, gluttony, which is the seven's passion, which isn't, I like to eat a lot, which is how we understand it today, but it was uh, wanting to be somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, wanting, like not being satisfied by the moment, by wanting, needing something else to satisfy me. And in, in the religious language of early church, it was something other than the presence of God to satisfy me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it goes on from there. And so these sins were not a bad thing you do, like a law you break. They're a way that your attention becomes absorbed or identified with something other than Christ or other than God, or other than divine, which is very much how every tradition that has, you know, that involves inner work understands inner work. You know, so uh, there is a way in which it's just just as you're saying, Nancy, it's like recontextual like like you're actually suppressing yourself rather than becoming more free inside by labeling, you know, whether it's sadness or anger or hate or whatever's going on in you. Those things can be transformed, but they can only be transformed if they are uh, made conscious and if you're present with them and you're not trying to change them too quickly, mm-hmm. that you are able to actually take a full account of the whole um the whole status of of your of your consciousness and unconsciousness your whole psyche and see what's happening there and not be identified with it and see that you didn't choose your type you didn't choose your instinct you didn't choose who you are you didn't choose your body and and if there is anything that is quote unquote spiritual within us it's the thing that can wake up and be separate from yet still present to all that stuff it's something that is uh, an inner life that stands apart from the phenomenon of our bodies and our psyches. And so as you're saying, Nancy, it's like if you're repressing all these qualities and reactions and feelings in yourself, that's very different from 
being present with them and not acting them out mechanically. And by repressing them, you're not gaining any self-knowledge. You're actually just creating more problems for yourself and other people and more suffering. Right. I think that's a big part of like church culture is that they, they tend to, I don't like to use this word, whitewash or just gloss over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of do. <laughs> just, you know, just gloss over anything that's negative. And I, I'm noticing that the way, well, type four is the most uh, mistyped type by a large margin. Let's just say like half yeah. the people who get into the Enneagram think they're type four and they're not. And so one thing I've noticed with the Christians really getting into the Enneagram and that being really popular is that anything negative about type four has been deleted. It used to be that people would mistype as type four because they wanted to be edgy and cool. And now it's that type four from in the Christian circles has been remade to be this empathetic and totally feeling service oriented, you know, creation that's based on church culture that, you know, so many women have, um, mostly women are interested in the Enneagram. So, uh, that identify with type four, see themselves as such a heartfelt and feeling, I can feel deeply with you. Hashtag all the feels. All the feels. And so type four has become this really positive, angelic type um, that's that has nothing negative. Uh, so just even saying that type fours are self-absorbed and frustrated and, and disappointed and, just and all these, yeah, all these things that are just real. It's, it's and the seen, fours actually don't have a problem with owning. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a huge problem, I think, in reconciling church culture and then the church lens with the negative realities about some of these types, because that's just not what happens in church. People don't. Um, they, it's the negative aspects are looked as uh, these are sinful things about my personality that I have to overcome by the grace of the Lord. <laughs> and and you know if if I veer off into anything negative, then I've sinned. Um, and so I think that's going to be a huge stumbling or a huge roadblock in uh, Christians being able to get real about their types is that no one wants to talk about what's wrong about the types. One of the things about uh, the, I mean, and this is not just related to people who identify as Christian. This really uh, has an impact on our whole cultural sense of, of, any kind of like, I'll call it spirituality. And when I, when I say spirituality, I mean any efforts made to understand and experience oneself apart from one's conditioning, Mm -hmm. you know? uh, So it doesn't have to be any kind of mystical experience, but generally if you, you step outside that boundary, you get to those places. But, um, but the first door of entry into anything like that, into anything spiritual and authentically spiritual and anything um, actually psychological, anything of the inner life at all. The first door is uh, seeing past your self-concepts. You know, it's seeing yourself as you actually are versus seeing yourself as you'd like to be or imagine you are. And the thing about this repression that Nancy's speaking to is that there's so much pressure to be quote unquote good that and 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 be kind of a a perfect and well obviously like Christ is enough or my family is enough and like you know th- these should be enough for me 
what happens is that it encourages a self-image that is very divorced from a person's actual manifestations. And that discrepancy creates a lot of obstacles to self-knowledge. And I mean, that's like the obstacle, really, the main obstacle, at least at the beginning of any inner practice, is that you're upholding a whole view of yourself that is probably not accurate. And Uh Mm -hmm. the Enneagram, if you're finding your type, it's going to be horrifying because you're going to see what you're like to some degree beyond what you thought, even if you know your type, and but when you really like you don't have a mistype, but finding your type, real type, it should be shocking. It should Mm -hmm. be sort of horrifying. Yeah, and kind of what you were just speaking about, a little branch off of that. Um, I think the Christian culture kind of creates, or really like the commercialized spiritual culture, kind of creates the need for a like spiritual arc. And mm. like once you hit the other side of this hill, you'll magically be like never slide back down that hill. Right. <laughs> mm. Whereas like, in my experience, it's constantly like dipping back into lack of presence and then coming back out of it into presence and then dipping back into lack of presence and then being caught up in my type structure and right. then et cetera, et cetera. Whereas it's not an arc, it's just a constant back and forth. Do you know a couple of years ago, John, when you started posting a lot about um, instincts and kind of the vitriol that people had? A lot of, I think a couple of religious people, it felt like a religious reaction. Just the notion that instincts were from our animal, like were animal instincts. And so I, I remember some people online who had posted that, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an animal. I don't have animal instincts. I'm a sanctified saint of God. You know, that kind of, oh, like, gosh. I'm way above way above these base impulses that you're speaking of and i feel like that's a a symptom of um the church culture is to pretend like instinctual needs aren't a constant part of daily life that because you go to church every week and you read your bible that you've somehow transcended these negative aspects of being a human being and so it's just not being real about what the hell's going on a lot of the people that push back initially like there weren't so many christians they were just sort of very um you know like that kind of white professional class type yep Mm -hmm. that you know do probably have some kind of christian background but they're i don't think they would identify culturally christian kind of more culturally than than somebody who's a a sincere church goer or Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. uh but it was it's it's very much a white upper middle class professional milieu that's like you know you can't talk you can't be real about human sexuality and mm-hmm. you know like sort of um just a really poor understanding of <clears throat> human biology apart from cultural preferences you know yeah so uh like like you know this is like not even this was not long ago at all this is like even just four years that was ago. that was three years ago i remember yeah, three, three four years ago and it's like you know talking about women being horny yep uh, that was controversial that never happens, that never we, happens. we got kicked out of a group specifically about the sexual instinct talking about the sexual instinct well like every time i talk about sexual as an instinct for sexual attraction like that's a motivational drive to sexually attract 
um, you know, I was getting a lot of, on one hand, people being like, hell yes, men and women, hell yes, that's what it is. And then a lot of men and women also being like, well, that's a male interpretation of sexuality because only males are looking, have, have, have sexuality in mind. Wow. And, and it's like, you know, there's, there's arguments to be made that for sure that men and women experience sexual interest and arousal differently, but in terms of a kind of a sexual appetite, uh, it's not my experience that <laughs> men are just a lot more horny than women. Right. Uh, there's right. just a totally different approach and sort of mechanism of, of how that, you know, like men have, have less um, hesitation. It's, but, it's also it's also inconvenient too to the to the sort of professional enneagram folks yep. um, for the sexual in, for the sexual instinct to be what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it's because you can't go into a you know corporate world and and talk about that stuff you know yeah. in, in, nope. in its reality, right? Uh, Even though, whereas like, if you made it one to one and you made it about nesting and coupling, and it's like, oh, okay, you just totally chopped off its genitals, and yeah, come, come on in. <laughs> I heard well, that's what that's why Catherine changed the name was that the corporate clients demanded that she couldn't use sexual. Wow. Yeah, no, that's absolutely why. Yeah. Um, and I that makes sense. I mean, yeah. but still it makes sense and it's why it's maybe not the place to to do that kind of whatever teaching i mean i guess it makes like there's no use in a business environment for the sexual instinct but how do you how do you right. fit that into uh business operations <laughs> you, you might be in, you might be interested in fucking your boss <laughs> or you might think about it a lot <laughs> at the very least uh you know Anybody, like, I, I just feel like you have to, like, if you're teaching the Enneagram, it's going to be anything more than just, like, what's your type? You know, it has to be a sincere confrontation, not even a, a difficult confrontation, but just a confrontation yeah. with what's real about being human. Mm -hmm. And so you can be in a business and it's like, yeah. like, it's worse to, in a business situation where it's not appropriate to act on the sexual instinct. You have to at least acknowledge and own it so that you can not right. act on it versus going, you know, if somebody looks at you this way and they grab your ass, it's because they want to start a monogamous relationship. <laughs> but, I mean, here's the thing. People still <laughs> act on it. Most relationships start from work. So acting like yeah, right, right, right. isn't <laughs> happening, like people are still fucking at work. So like, <laughs> like you can't pretend like this isn't going on like that. Like you're not going to talk about people having sex at work but that's where most people meet <laughs> yeah i mean ideally in a golden age you could do <laughs> sexual instinct at work and have that be you know what your corporation talks about you know <laughs> or yeah. whatever, right yeah I mean, this is uh this is our corporate cuddle puddle yeah. uh, <laughs> right. it's getting very wet here the corporate polycule <laughs> very sloshy it would actually probably help if the sexual inst instinct was taught in a work environment because it's one of those things where when you repress an energy, it starts spilling out in these inappropriate ways. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just maybe they could talk about how does um, how do you how do you navigate the sexual signals that someone else is sending? 
in, oh, I, a, in a work environment. <laughs> I think I think this is a great uh, uh, topic, and I th- I want to like because I imagine the per- whoever's listening who doesn't know like where we're coming from in terms of the sexual instinct. Like, I just want to give a quick overview of how we're making a distinction. Yes, yeah, that's um, a good idea. So, you know, the, the instincts, uh, self-preservation, sexual and social are a major part of the Enneagram personality, but not a lot of people know why. And the reason is because is they're animal biological drives that we get psychologically identified with. So otherwise we wouldn't study them, you know, apart with, with, the, uh, with the Enneagram because in, in the case of the instincts, they're things we get psychologically identified with and base our self-concept on unconsciously. Um, and then the thing about them is that they're not appetites. It's not like the sexual instinct, for example, is the appetite of sexual lust, but it's the motivational drive to ensure that somebody's attracted to you in case you want to have sex. And just like self-preservation is not hunger, the appetite of hunger, it's the motivational drive to make sure that you have the resources available in case you get hungry or whatever your body needs. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, uh, it is believed that these categories came from Sufi psychology, but I don't know what branch of Sufism, but this is what Achazo said. Oscar Achazo, who synthesized a bunch of systems, came up with the modern Enneagram, um, incorporated them into his understanding of the Enneagram, but he had, had some kind of kooky ideas about them. And then, uh, which would be an interesting thing for all of us to like look into at some point, try to really make sense of. Um, and then... Uh-huh. Uh, Claudio Naranjo studied with him for about eight to 10 months and then uh, came back to, uh, I, I can't remember where he's from, but he studied, he, he taught in California a lot and he taught the instincts um, were not biological instincts. He was influenced by uh, a mentor of his and based his understanding of the instincts, which should be appropriately called subtypes, on uh, a Gurdjieffian understanding of the subdivision of centers. And so he equated self-preservation with the body center. He equated sexual with the emotional center. He equated social with the intellectual center. And you can kind of see his logic, but I don't think it holds water. So that's why when people talk about uh, self-preservation, they forget a lot of the more dynamic parts about self-preservation and sort of get to like just the comfort parts. which is another thing we can talk about sometime. In terms of sexual instinct, people have cleaned up the sexual instinct. Uh, and part of the reason I think so is because sexual instinct is unpredictable. You can't predict who you're going to be attracted to for how long, uh, if the person you're attracted to is going to be attracted to back, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's unstable. So they, uh, in equating with the emotional center, <coughs> sexual instinct or has been described as intimacy or one-on-one. It has a one-on-one quality because it's you know you're focused on a particular mate um, or potential mate, but it's not a personal sharing instinct. It's very it's very penetrating rather than receptive and 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 reciprocal. And it's not intimacy because intimacy is a heart quality. You can have sex with no intimacy. Um, you can have sex with a lot of intimacy, whether or not your heart is involved. And, and social and attraction instinct. as well. And attraction, right? Right. And, uh, and just to say, lastly, that, you know, the most intimate human experience I think that there is, is probably the bond between mother and child. That's not sexual instinct. And yep. I, it's amazing how many people try to say, oh, but that's sexual instinct. It's so weird. 
It's not. Uh, <laughs> so it's weird. social. Yeah. And the reason that the social instinct evolved in animals is that when their nervous systems got so complicated, they couldn't just, you know, hatch from the, uh, the sea turtle shell and just go to the ocean and then just be a mm -hmm. sea turtle. They needed parenting. And uh, so that the, the, the instinct of actually caring about another animal is a social instinct and it extends one-on-one, -on -one, it extends between parent and child, but it applies to all human relationships. Mm -hmm. And so uh, part of what we're looking at is the sexual instinct, all the instincts really more appropriately defined to reflect our actual biology so yeah. that we can better understand our psychology rather than, um, rather than cleaning it up so it's more palatable to our culture or our personality or whatever that's a yeah that's a huge point because i think a lot of huge misconceptions have been made with around the instincts and it was a huge point of struggle for me when i was trying to figure out my shit and figure out <laughs> what my type was and and i of course everyone comes into the enneagram thinking they're a sexual four and but when you try to actually unpack what that means and you start looking at the material you can't actually make any distinctions that are useful um so it i think it was a really big deal to discover the notes that i found a while back uh that you john had put up and some uh, david's stuff that really started to open up the instincts and to see them from a biological standpoint um and just to see that information spread more and more and to watch people's reactions to it. It's just out of control, insane that when people are confronted with the real sexual instinct, they are reacting in a way that is predictable to how someone would react to the sexual instinct. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, this is a disruption. This is, this is dangerous. How Chaos. dare you? Um, you know, it's Boundary been really penetrating. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is a big topic, like the, the way people have been responding to the instincts and eventually getting into like the collage exercise and how um, that's been a big thing. Um, like we could probably, we could really get into that. And I think we've, we've hit on, on an hour so far. We're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's a big topic. Yeah. That is a big topic, but it's important. The elements piece is uh, it's helpful there too. If you think about my association with the instincts and the elements, just briefly, uh, you know, air for social, the classical four elements: air, fire, water, and earth. You know, air is social. Earth is self-pres. Um, sexual is is both uh fire and water and fire and water are you know unstable and they're sort of problems right like well let's put some water at work you know what i mean at a corporate environment a mm -hmm. flood or a fire right it's a it's a problem you know what yeah. i mean it's unstable if you know you're exposed to water you're wet it's like ah, I'm wet. What happened? Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's a, that's a, that's a non-natural, uh, well, not non-natural. It's not no, the typical state of things. Right. Right. Uh, and, and to be burning is not the typical state of things, right? It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're, so Hopefully. you're, yeah. Whereas air, 
right? There's air all the time all around and it's kind of the mundane truth of things. So it's sort of special, let's say, to be wet or to be on fire, right? <laughs> so, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, 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 um, it's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in various contexts, in various ways. So that's another way to conceptualize the issue of the sexual instinct and all the things that come with trying to put it into all kinds of context, including, I mean, that's why it gets neutered into one-to-one and intimacy and, you know, uh, you know, just mate bonding in a more tame way is because those elements uh, uh, sort of force that almost, right? So too much danger. What would, uh, (laughs) for those who don't speak, David, what would uh, being wet or on fire mean? Well, it, it has multiple different contexts. You, um, can you ask another? Ask it another way. Or, mm-hmm. like, so you know, uh, like, like when you say being wet at work, yeah. Uh, part of being wet is um, things become slick. The boundaries become less defined uh there's a way in which like wetness is what breeds certain kinds of growths but it's also Mm -hmm. like think thought of as sexual fluids and um sexual arousal so all those things are kind of evoked where it's it's dissolving certain hard boundaries and creating a lack of control where you can't parse things out in different boxes as like a like at work is a professional setting and it's like this is the box where the papers go and this is where those go right and this is how you say hello and greet a client but if everything's wet it's like yeah you know think about like like people avoiding getting rained on exactly that's what i then that's what i mean is that so like yeah so t- taking the baton there so yeah imagine a big one of those big rooms, you know, with a bunch of desks and and people at all these desks and rows and rows and rows. And now imagine that everybody's waist high in water, let's say, right? (laughs) So now just let's say waist high, then, then that means now, uh, people are, people's bodily fluids are possibly starting to connect and touch other people's bodily fluids, right? (laughs) Or, or fluids that have, floated around people's genitalia or Hell floating yeah. around everybody's genitalia <laughs> and so on and so on right so it's it's a mess right and and, and yeah all papers yeah and all the papers are wet uh you can't get anything productive done like that right you can't file anything yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's here's a very leading. problematic thing here's an okay. example Go ahead. when when there's a water spill at work they put up a caution sign that says wet, wet floor. Yeah. Because if there's no caution sign, you're going to slip and fall. Yeah. And so this idea that um, things can slip into each other that dangerously, danger, unpredictably, unpredictably. Yeah. It's a, that's a water kind of like makes things, uh, like you said, a mess. And fire. Um, fire, of course, is dangerous, right? Yeah. Fire and explosion and you know, all of that kind of thing. And like orgasm is an explosion, right? I mean, it's, uh, 
yeah so and and part of what water again in in the context of david speak yeah like you said john <laughs> is the sexual fluids and it's but it's also if you think about it saliva kissing right and oral sex dare i mention and, oh, um, my goodness. And I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my. Life probably started, life on Earth probably started uh, near um, water. Those, in ocean. water, in the ocean, near those, uh, those thermal yep. vents, you know, so you have. Absolutely. Lava, fire, So you've got water. heat and water, exactly. And it's the, it's the origin point. Yeah, and, and then sex. like, you know, your water breaks, giving ready to life, you know, to birth. Mm -hmm. And yep. yeah. Yeah. And generally water is feminine and fire is masculine. And and if you think about woman has multiple liquids, right? There's mm -hmm. menstrual blood, there's milk, uh lubrication, etc. Right. She's mm -hmm. woman's sort of got a couple of extra fluids going on that the men. <laughs> we don't are have. so hydrated. Yes. <laughs> and then there's and then there's the cyclical nature of what is it called edema edema uh water weight gain and oh. connection into um and so there's a fluctuation of water with women um uh and the menstrual cycle related to the moon and the moon controls the tides and the water da 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 right so it just it keeps going on and on well, i think this would be an interesting intro into the next episode uh, episode sure. yeah on trying to I cut agree. us off yeah i am <laughs> <laughs> gotta get to bed my uh my self-pres is kicking in like it's 906 nancy <laughs> <laughs> you have to get up and eat t minus 10 hours <laughs> what's our outro gonna be we're gonna we're, what are we saying again <laughs> i forget what we did something no, what did we do it yeah. was, it was all of us in unison oh yeah saying thank you for listening to the big hormone enneagram or something oh yeah like is that what we, we all Nancy just did it so yeah wait yeah, we I all think... have to say it together though creepily okay <laughs> <laughs> you know fours you can't get him to do stuff simultaneously <laughs> i know he's gonna be like a beat off or we're something. gonna strip him of all his uniqueness <laughs> won't be subsumed <laughs> a, a beat off that says a lot so <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we should just say that this is a wrap. Thanks. <laughs>